0: Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the Kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I want to preach the Word to you for just a moment, and then I've asked Megan to come back and uh, lead us in one more song of worship before we dismiss. And during that song of worship, if you would like personal prayer... Uh, in response to the message or maybe you walked in today and you just know there's a real need in your life and you would like someone to agree with you in prayer Uh, during that song of worship at the end of this time today we'd love to agree with you and believe God with you and for you whatever it is you're facing today have you ever heard the phrase the struggle is real have you ever made the statement the struggle is real There's kind of an updated version to that phrase. I've heard people say, I'm kind of living on the struggle bus right now. Is anyone living on the struggle bus in some area of your life? What what do people mean? Most of you seem like you know what I mean when I say the struggle is real. Can I tell you, the struggle is real with me all the time. Sometimes it's big struggles. Sometimes it's small struggles. Sometimes the struggle is a big deal to me and when I share my struggle It doesn't seem that big to others. Just me? You too. Sometimes people don't understand how big the struggle is. But can I tell you, no matter whether you think the struggle or someone else thinks your struggle is big or small, how many can testify sometimes it's just real, right? Big things to others. Small thing to me, big things to me, small thing to others. The struggle can be real. Sometimes the struggle is really big in areas that people don't understand and they don't think it's a big deal. Like I have this personal struggle. If I'm driving down the road and there's a Krispy Kreme <laughs> on the side of the road and their, light, their sign is lit up, how many know what the lit sign means? It means they're hot. I can drive by a Krispy Kreme. No problem. I don't, I'm, I'm bold, I'm disciplined, I don't have to stop. But when the light is up, the struggle gets real. Because you don't really eat those donuts. They just kind of, you put them and they melt. They're, they're just like, it, it, is, it is when you walk into heaven, there's going to be a box of, the light's going to be on. I'm pretty sure. It's like, Welcome. Welcome, welcome. And if you want to go to heaven faster, just go there more often. And I think that same thing kind of kind of happens there. The struggle is real. Sometimes I hear someone say things that are wrong. But it's really none of my business. And then the struggle is real. Do I say something? Do I let them know they're wrong? Do I let them know their team really is not the best team? Of course, I'm a Razorback fan, so right now I say that to nobody. I just, But, but the struggle is real. Sometimes I pray for God to do one thing and he answers in a different way. And the struggle inside of me becomes real. Um, we all have struggles in our life. I wish there was a pill I could take, or an easy button I could push, that just makes the struggles go away. Um, I know that there are people that will tell you, well, just give your life to Jesus, and he's the magic pill. All struggles will just vanish the minute you uh, give your life to Jesus. I wish that also was true, but Jesus is actually the one that said, in this life, you're going to have tribulation, trouble, struggles. It's going to come to all of us. We all have those. But God does have an answer for the struggle in our life. And Paul is going to share with us about a struggle in his life. And I want to ask you to listen to his struggle. And maybe it relates to you. Maybe you can identify with him. Verse number 14, chapter 7, Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Unspiritual sold as a slave to sin, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, and it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Does anyone feel like Paul's on the struggle bus? Right? For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do the good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging a war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. If you don't know if Paul is on the struggle bus or not, just listen to these last words. What a wretched man am I? Struggling, right? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thankfully, he provides the answer. And he says the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, help us today. We all find ourselves in moments when we don't do the things we want to do. We find ourselves doing the things we don't want to do. Sometimes our belief is wrong, but our actions, Lord, they, they, they lead us in the right way. Sometimes our belief are, is correct, but our actions don't line up. Lord, we, we struggle. Lord, help us to, to align our life with our convictions. Help me to, in moments of struggle, to always choose you. Lord, help me today to preach what you want spoken. Help us to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Because we know that when the word is spoken, it brings strength to do what you're asking us to do. Help us together. And we commit ourselves to responding accordingly. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. True or false? I can sense that Paul was on the struggle bus. True? He was struggling. He said, I want to do the right thing, but I find myself not doing it. There was a war going on in his life, and I don't know about you, but when I read Paul's uh, his experience here, I, I kind of breathe a little bit of a, sh. thank the Lord it's not just me right? Thank the Lord. If the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote more in the New Testament than anyone else, the the guy who is considered one of the most greatest biblical scholars or writers of his time, the guy that has helped us know how to do church and how to live life, if that guy is struggling with these things, it provides a little bit of grace for me when I find myself struggling too. I would go even as far to say this. If Paul has great faith, but the struggle was real, we should not be so paranoid when we find ourselves struggling. As a matter of fact, we may ought to be a little bit concerned when we don't find ourselves struggling. Because it could be in seasons when the struggle doesn't seem real, that our faith isn't really being demonstrated the way it's supposed to be demonstrated, because how many understand that movement creates friction? And friction is simply another word for struggle. When we come to Jesus, I want to tell you this morning, it's not that the struggle is over, it's just that the outcome is determined. See, as Jesus followers, you and I have a determined Outcome to our struggles. So, how do I deal with the real struggles in my life? And this is a very, very wide funnel. You can jump in this morning and apply it to your life. And I ask you to do so. If you, there's a struggle of any sort in your life today, jump in and let Paul's word and the Lord's word through him help you this morning. How do I? deal with the struggles in my life. Well, the first thing Paul tells us to do is we have to examine, and more than that, cut ties to our past. He says in verse number four, he says, so brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another. We sang a song this morning, and part of the words said, I am a child of God. Would you say this with me out loud this morning? I belong to someone else, Right? We all belong to someone else, and his name is Jesus. See, the thing is, our past... Tries to, tries to claim ownership of you and says that what you were is all that you can ever be. And, and I find it I find it humorous how the enemy likes to get us stuck in the worst season of our life. Whatever the worst season of your life is, he wants you to identify as that. He wants that to be the defining moment of your life. But can I tell you, Jesus has a greater defining moment of your life. It's not the moment of your failure, it's the moment of your salvation. It's not, not the moment of your spiritual death, it's the moment of your spiritual death spiritual resurrection. That should be the defining moment of your life. Our old life has been buried with him. Listen to to verse 4 of chapter 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we also may live a new life. Paul uses the analogy of marriage In chapter 7, he talks about when one person in the marriage dies, that the commitments, the attachments, the requirements of that marriage is now broken and over, and you're now free to engage in the relationship with another. Paul's trying to to bring us to the point where we can recognize, he's using a lot of different languages, a lot of different examples here, to, to, to get us to some point to say, Past gone, new here. So he says, he says, the enemy will come to you and he'll say, Who do you think you are to believe that you can begin again? Who do you think you are to believe you can have a different life or a new life? Who do you think you are to believe that you can lead your family? on a different path than you used to lead them. Who do you think you are to believe that your life can truly be different in the future than it was in the past? I'll tell you who you are to believe that. You're a child of God. You're a son of daughter of Jesus. Your past does not have to define your future. You can lead your family different than before. That's what Paul's trying to say. He says, just as Jesus died, water baptism is a picture of the death of Jesus... He says, just as you were buried in baptism, your old life, your sin, your sin nature, it was the the wrath of God against you because of sin, the the, the ramifications of your sin, all that was buried in Christ and you raised to a brand new life. Paul's trying to use that as a picture of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there's uh, several pictures of baptism sort of pictures for us to get a hold of what Jesus wants to do in our lives today. The Lord worked in some strange ways in the Old Testament to not just touch people's lives but also to kind of paint a picture for us what he wants to do today. There, in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a man named Naaman. How many remember Naaman? Naaman was a great, great general, great leader, respected by his king, but he had a major issue. Remember his issue? He had leprosy. And leprosy in those days was was a death sentence. If you had that, you, you were going to die. It was, a, it, it was a horrible condition where your body was literally eaten away from the outside in. And uh, if you had this condition, not only was it horrible to live through and to die from and in addition to the to the physical torture there was an added social torture to it as well you weren't allowed to be part of the community so to speak you would have to certain when you entered in the town you were you were commanded to to Declare that you were unclean, that you were defiled, that you had this disease. That there were even kings that would that would that would have the diagnosis of leprosy, and they would have to, to their their rulership would be confined to a separate castle or a separate place. Their life was basically it was condemned to isolation. They couldn't be away from people. It was a reproach to them. It was horrible. And Naaman has this this spoken over him, and he has taken captured this little Israelite girl that's in his, in his household or in his entourage, and she tells him about the goodness of God. And she tells him, hey, there's a man of God where I'm from, From and if you could talk to him, he could heal you and make you better. And so, if you know the story, he was asked for mission to go back. He found the man of God. He said, what a what do you want me to do? And he said, go to the river and dip seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman wasn't really happy about that decision. He wanted the man of God to come out and wave his hands or something. like that's actually, in the Bible. He said, I would feel better if he would do something. But instead, he didn't even come out and talk to Naaman. He just sent him, said, go dip in the river seven times. When you come on the seventh time, you'll be clean. And, and Naaman almost didn't go, right? He said, there's better rivers where I'm from. He didn't come out, wave his hands. He didn't, he didn't treat me like I was who I am. He, he, just, he was insulted, basically. And all those around there said, hey, if he'd asked you to do something hard, wouldn't he do it? So why not go do this simple thing? So he begrudgingly went, and he dipped in the river, and on the seventh time he came up, what happened? Life change. Everything, he had the skin of a newborn baby. Everything was was perfect. Like he'd never been touched by the disease before. And he gave praise to God, and he went on his way. Now let me ask you a question. I said all that to ask you this question. How do you think Naaman spent the rest of his life? Do you think Naaman spent the rest of his life... Going around saying, unclean, unclean. Do you think he spent the rest of his life saying, stay away from me. I used to have leprosy. Do you think he spent the rest of his life away from the public eye? Or do you think he lived his life as though the disease had never touched him? How are we now supposed to live as Christians, as believers? Are we supposed to be walking around like people that are still sick, still bound by leprosy of sin? Are we supposed to walk around displaying the greatness, forgiveness of the God that we serve? Amen? That's the picture of baptism that that God wants to do in our lives. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are New creatures, there's therefore no condemnation for those. My old life is not a limitation on my new life in Christ. The struggle is real. The struggle for transformation is real. But can I tell you, the power of Christ is greater. Number two, got to serve God, or we get to serve God, I should say, in a new way. Romans 7, 6 says, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're going to look at this scripture a little bit more in a few minutes. Even when I have desires to relive or reignite, to, to, to... do what I once do, all that is is a reminder that I'm in the process of dying to that which once held me. What what does that mean? That means that I wish that when you gave your life to Jesus, the temptations to go backwards disappeared completely. Completely. And praise be to God, there are some people that have that experience, that God delivers them from some part of their past, and when he delivers them, they never have the taste of that thing, whatever it was, that habit, that drug, they never have the, the, the response, maybe verbally or even in their mind that they used to have, God just changes them totally I've seen it happen. I thank God for that. But I've also known people who, who God immediately set them free from their sin, but their but walking that out was a struggle. But here's the thing. It's a struggle empowered by Jesus. Amen? There's a difference between us trying to struggle against something in our own power and struggling with God's power. I'll tell you the big difference is the result. When we struggle with God's power, we find freedom. And in the meantime, we serve God a new way. See, I don't serve God because of what I may get, I serve God because of what I've already received. Love for Jesus produces a different result than simple obligation. Paul says. The struggle is real, but my struggle that Paul's talking about, he says, my struggle is not to to stay in step with the letter of the law. My struggle is to stay in step with the spirit of Jesus. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But but how many understand you can go to the same restaurant twice and have two different experiences? You can get the same food. Same appetizer, same dessert, and it can taste exactly the same. But the person serving you can make all the difference, right? A person who is there out of joy to serve and and thankful they got a job, as opposed to the person that just came to work that day because they need the money and you're kind of a nuisance that they had to wait on you because they get maybe they get paid the same whether you come or not I don't know but, but you know, we've all had different experiences because someone's spirit in them was different it's it's been said that the best marriages are made out of people who are just trying their best to outserve one another the the love of god in them is pushing them to serve better. They, here, here's point three. And, and the reason is because somehow they have moved from a relig, uh, regulations mentality to a relationship mentality. And that's basically what Paul is trying to get us to do in chapter six to chapter seven. It's part of the way we overcome this struggle of doing the right thing, doing what I know I should do and what God wants me to do to what sometimes I want to do on the inside. Part of that is we have to move from a, from a law mentality to a relationship mentality. When someone enters a new relationship, their obligation changes. God is the, um, the lawgiver. He's the one that gave us the Big Ten, right, the Ten Commandments. So it's not that a lot of people read chapter 6 and 7, they're trying to figure out how can I just get away from the law and, 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 and Jesus did away from it, so what, what, do I, what do I do about it? We're going to talk about that. But see, here's the thing about the law. The law has the ability to show us what we ought to do. But it doesn't have the ability to give us the power to do it. So the struggle becomes real. But but Jeremiah said, there's a time coming in which we now live. When God said, I'm going to take the law that was written on stones of clay, or, or clay stones, edged in stone, and instead of writing my laws on pieces of stone, I'm going to write my laws on people's heart. And that happens when we go from a, a, a law mentality to a relationship mentality. When Megan and I got married, and, and probably every married person in the room, you went through this too. When we got married, the preacher in front of us asked us to, asked us to commit to some pretty specific things. Like love each other, love each other in sickness and in health, what else, richer or poorer, forsaking all others, cling only to her or him, for as long as you shall live. Now, Megan and I have been married uh, 23 years. And I don't know that if I've ever gotten up out of the bed in the morning, and pulled out those paper notes that that preacher used in the year 2000. So okay, he said, okay, I gotta love her today. The bank account, yeah, the bank account doesn't have much money money in it today. But I gotta love her anyway. And you know she's not feeling very good. But I gotta love her anyway. And there's this there's this person at work that's been Flirting with me, but, you know, I'm going to stay faithful to her because, you know, after all, the paper says for me to do that. Now, I'm going to say something, and you're not going to like it, but that's okay. If you are keeping your marriage vows only because they're on a piece of paper that someone spoke over you 23 years ago, your marriage is in trouble. And if you didn't know that coming in, your spouse probably did. And they just haven't told you. In 23 years of marriage, I have never gone back to what I committed on that day simply, and kept it simply because of, of a commitment I made one day. You know why I've kept those commitments for 23 years? Because of my relationship with her. My relationship has kept me when my word would not. All of us in this room, the only way we overcome certain struggles in our life when it comes to doing the right thing for God, it's not going to come because we know, we, know, we know what the word says. It's going to come because we're in a relationship with the Father. We've got to move from regulation to worship to relationship, there's there's three responses that people have to Romans chapter 7 when it comes to obeying the law. Here's the first response. You've probably seen, I hope you've seen all three of these. You probably have. The first response is this: it's called legalism. I'm gonna get right with God by keeping the law. I'm gonna do the right things at the right time. I'm gonna do it out of sheer willpower. I'm going to read enough, study enough, pray enough, attend church enough, go to Bible study enough, love people enough. I'm going to keep my mouth in check. I'm going to think the right things. I'm not going to watch that. Listen to this. I will watch this. We'll listen to this. We we just, all these things. I'm going to do it this way. And I'm going to please God. I'm going to keep the law because after all, I'm good. Legalism. If that would work, Jesus would have never had to come to earth. If we could keep the law ourselves, there would never have been a need for him. But here's the thing, the best of us still is not good enough. I said a few weeks ago about that scripture that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. And then other people, they use Chapter six and seven of the words of Paul to, to go just the opposite. They say things like this well, well, you know, the law is the reason for all of our problems. I mean, if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't have any problems. We wouldn't know that we were doing the wrong thing. We would, we would just it's the law's the problem. And there's some of this in me more than i think there is i mean let me ask you all the fishermen and fisher women in the room i want to ask you to tell me what this sign means out loud come on i've heard don't get caught what else what move away from the signs I'm starting to think there's no fisherman in his room. There's a good fisherman in the back. What that sign means is the fishing must be good. If the fishing was no good, there would be no sign. The only reason they put a sign up is because you're with me? All right. Billy's with me. All those signs mean is the fishing must be good. It, it also means something to me, too. It means that I believe that when someone puts a rule up there, the rule must be trying to keep me from something instead of delivering something to me. Let me see if I can lose some more people. There's this new rule in college football. It's called, and this is about to be controversial. It's called targeting. I can see the cringes. They just, they just came up with it. What? Scott, four years ago? Five years ago? I don't know. I haven't been around a long time. Targeting. If you're like me, a lot of times I hate that call because it only gets called on my team. Targeting. So when a, one player hits another player with the crown of the helmet with their head down, uh, un what do you call it? Defenseless player targeting. If you get if you're caught doing that, you're ejected from the game. Horrible, horrible thing in my mind. Do you know why they invented this law? Was it to pick on Greg Sanders and his team? No, the reason they came up with it was they were trying to add a layer of protection for the player. But sometimes I get so passionate about the game that in that moment, a level of protection seems sort of like a backseat to me in that moment. We got to win the game first. Then we'll, I know y'all don't think about sports that way, but, but I'm just saying. Sometimes when I see or hear the law, my mind doesn't go to the place of trust. It goes to the place of thinking we'd be better off without it, and that's how a lot of people. Can I tell you that's how most of American culture thinks today that if we could just divorce ourselves from any standard morality the world would be a better a better place it's going on why are these why are the why are there, why are there all these attacks in our nation right now to try to to do away with certain laws and even anything that that, that hints of christianity because there's this mindset, if we can just get the, we can get the, we can get the morality out of the way. If we can get, a, if we can get away from people saying there's a there's a real right and a real wrong, then then there'll be no wrong. We'll all be right. I tell you that doesn't work. So Paul says the way to overcome the struggle is not to, not by living a life of legal, legalism. It's also not by just having a carefree attitude that says anything goes. He said the right relationship with the law is this. We live by the law and fulfill it because Christ gives us the power to do so. And when I, which happens a lot for me, When I cannot fulfill the law of Christ in my own, I have an intercessor, and I have someone that steps in the gap of what I cannot do and reminds me that my righteousness is not based on my performance of the law. It's based on His performance of the law. And therefore, I can continue down the road of honoring God with my life because He's enabling me to do so. And I'm motivated to do so because... It's not about, am I checking this box? The question is, am I living to please Jesus? And I, by the way, am living to please Jesus. But in order for that to happen, I have to live a life that is dependent on Him. Verse 24 of chapter 7, Paul says, the struggle is real. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind. I'm a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, slave to the law of sin. Paul realizes I need external help for this internal struggle. And so do you. He's the difference maker we depend upon. And Megan, if you want to come this morning... I'll read to you Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. Jeremiah realized he needed external help. He said, because of the loving devotion of the Lord, we are not consumed, for His mercies never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. What are some practical ways we can demonstrate our dependence upon him? Paul was struggling. He realized people around him were struggling. Some of them were struggling because they were trying to to keep every single letter of the law and they were unable to do so. Unable in their own power to do so. And I've shared this, this with you before, living for Jesus, it doesn't really... If you want to use the wording that it does away with the law that's okay but you have to understand that it's because now there's a new a new way of living it's not just the letter of the law it is the spirit of the law and the spirit of the law is is actually a higher a higher calling than just the letter of the law but it's a freer calling because The spirit of the law is being implemented and empowered by the spirit inside of Him, inside of us. It puts us in a Christ dependent relationship on Him. Our internal struggles are dealt with by our connection to someone greater than us, the person of Jesus Christ. So how do I demonstrate my dependence on the Lord? Well, i got to have daily intakes and fill-ups. i got to have His Word, which helps me connect to His Spirit. i got to connect with Him in times of prayer. I think encouragement of believers of a body like this, because the struggle is real, but His power is greater. Today I want to ask you, I've asked you to bow your heads. I want to pray for two different people this morning, or two different groups of people, perhaps. Number one, I want to pray for the person who you have been—you have been in a struggle. You've been in a struggle. Simply put, to change your life, you have sensed the Spirit of God challenging you, nudging you. Pulling you to make some life changes and you say, Pastor, I, I feel the pull, but it's just been a struggle and it's been real. I tell you, when, when God gives you the when God gives you the command to change He's also right along with that command gives you His Spirit that helps you make that change. He doesn't call you to change yourself he calls you to submit to the change he wants you to make you got to work with him not against him you got to allow him to work through you you have a part to play but it's not all your part it's a partnership with you and the Holy Spirit today you've been struggling you've been trying to do it on your own you've been trying to practice outward conformity without an inward relationship, and that is—it is—it's a struggle. We do. It's frustrating. I've been there, done that, bought a T-shirt, and I would tell you, you don't have to live that way. Another moment, the Holy Spirit of God wants to come along beside you and help you make every needed change. He's nudging you to take this morning. You say, Pastor, I've been struggling with that, with that today. please you lift a hand, real quick. That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Amen. 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 And I would also say this. Rejoice when you sense the Lord pulling you to make those changes because that means you're being sensitive to the work that God wants to do in you. Secondly today, the second group of people I want to pray for today, there's a struggle in your life and it is, it's different. It's not that God's calling you to make a change. Your struggle is Maybe it's a struggle in your, your finances. It's a, struggling, a struggle in your marriage, a struggle in your relationships. Maybe it's a struggle physically. You need a, God to heal your body. Maybe it's something emotional or mental. You need God to just touch you and your emotions or your mind today. I can tell you, all of that is in God's willhouse and His power today. And I'd love to pray for you this morning just that God would touch you you say, Pastor, that's me. I, I, I'm struggling, but I just, physical, financial, whatever. Can you just wave at me real quick. That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Amen. 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 We're going to pray for that this morning. Just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask our board members and their spouses to come join me down front. And uh, i got our board members and spouses to come now. Pastor Bethany's going to come. Our ministers are going to come. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask us all to stand. And I've asked Megan to lead us in this song of worship. And when we ask you to stand, if you lifted your hand for any reason, myself and these up here would love to pray with you. If you're not coming for prayer, then I want to ask you to decree this song over your life today. Because though the struggle is real, Jesus is greater. Amen? I want to ask you to say that out loud with me this morning. Though the struggle is real. Jesus is greater. Jesus. Say it again, though the struggle is real. Jesus is greater. Amen. Would you stand with me all across this room? If you lifted your hands for prayer, would you come this morning? And let us pray for you. And then let's let's declare this song over our life today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
1: You unravel me with a so sure. split the sea so I could walk right through
0: Several are still praying. We want them to continue to pray. But I just want to pray a blessing over everyone. I know some of you need to leave. Go get your kids. All that kind of stuff. But Father, I just pray over this house today. I pray over this people today. God, I pray you will bless them. I pray you will keep them. I pray you will cause your face to shine upon them. Lord, give them peace. Give them joy. Be their strength. Lord, and when the struggle is real, I pray the presence of God would be greater and the strength of Christ would be theirs. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you. I'll be on the front porch at about 60 seconds. God bless you. Have a great day. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.